This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. Wow. When I first started this podcast way back in 2017, I could only hope that I'd have Donald and John Tardy on the show for your listening pleasure. And here they finally are. The catalyst for the chat with the Extreme Metal Legends is due to a tour by Obituary across Australia in January 2024. If you're a local check gig guides, but I'll make it a bit easier too and put some dates and a link to tickets in the episode description. Now, throughout this conversation here, the gents reflect on their journey with Obituary, their relationship with Trevor Perez, who has been on the show before, and the largely hidden these days, unfortunately, Alan West. Belichery, we get the lowdown on what was going on there with that rap extreme metal mashup. Frozen in time, we have a bit of a chat about that. The great Ralph Santola, Frank. Um, no, we don't talk about Frank. We talk about Terry Butler, and we do discuss whether or not Steve was asked, Steve DiGiorgio, that is, was asked to be part of the band. I wish I had way more time because I wanted to go into Andrew WK territory with Don. I do ask if they uh, had plans or designs on releasing a biography, so you'll have to hear what they have to say about that. But look, otherwise, yeah, not enough time to talk about all the things I'd love to discuss, but that just means that round two will be just as good or even better than the first. So here it is, a conversation with John and Donald Tardy from Obituary. John, how are you? Hello, can you hear me? I can, exemplary timing, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, with a last name like Tardy, I can't. Uh, I cannot be late. <laughs> Donald was supposed to be over here at the studio today, and we we're going to do it together. But I'm not sure. Does it let more than one person come in? Absolutely. Yeah, I've just admitted okay, him into the chat be, now. He, he should be hopping in there, I would think. Yeah, I just let him in now, so he'll, uh, okay, he'll see cool. him in the moment. There he is. Can you see him? So how's it going, Andrew? Hey guys, this is. Hey, uh, man. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be able to do this, guys. I've been an obituary fan for for decades now. It's um just a quick story. My wife, who is decidedly not a metal fan, as a lot of the women aren't, as you can appreciate. I remember <laughs> I, was, I was living in a unit in the valley near the city, and um, I took it back to my place. This is one of the first times we actually, you know, hooked up or what have you, and. Um, YouTube, this is 2007, so YouTube was in its infancy, but I thought I'm going to show her some of my music because she was listening to Ludacris and all this hip-hop shit and all the rest of it. And <laughs> the first song I ever showed her was I Don't Care. And she thought I was joking. <laughs> she said, she said <laughs> what, you listen to this music? I said, yeah, I do. But I've got to tell you, over, <laughs> over a period of time, I won her over, I think, to the point where she'd actually tolerate obituary and death and morbid angel and all my favorite bands being played in the background against neo and you know all of that sort of stuff i don't even know the name yeah. of those guys to be honest with you but but she, awesome. uh, she certainly got her she certainly got an education early on so there you go yeah, all right <laughs> nice how's the uh how's the zoom has been going in preparation for the tour Good, man. Been a lot. go ahead d yeah, I mean, we we kind of just gearing up for this now. You know, we, we've been home for quite a few months since uh, the European run, the UK run. Um, so it's been kind of quiet. It's been nice and nice to be quiet. We kind of got away to 
just relax a little bit, recharge. And now, and now the interviews are starting and we can tell that uh, the Aussies and New Zealand, you guys are ready for us and we're excited about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw you guys when you last came down just before the pandemic, you were one of the last bands, you guys in Corrosion of Conformity, I think were the last two bands to come through town before the gates yeah. came crashing down. And, and i got to say you, I don't know whether you remember the gig in Brisbane, but it was packed out. It was it was a sold out gig. I'm sure Dicey mentioned something about that. And uh, you put on such a magnificent show. So you've got this staying power, haven't you, where it's not about age, but just all of that experience that you've got on stages, man, it just comes through in spades at the moment. Well, I mean, I, I also think it just shows when you're still having fun doing something, uh, hey, that makes all the difference in the world. You know, if you're just up there going through the motions, um, and, and it's easy to get through, especially long tours and whatever, whatever. It's easy just to kind of go through the motions. But uh, when you're having fun and you're still having fun each and every night, uh, it, it makes your it makes your life easy and, and, and fun. Um, so I, I think that's what kind of shows through, you know, mm. just, just knowing we're still still enjoying what we do. You've you've been having fun for a long time though. So I look, I've been wanting to ask you this question for quite a while now. You know, so, so I mean, you guys have been around longer than almost anybody. You you really are. I mean, there's a foundation stone, and you, and you guys have your names written into it, both of you. So what what were your thoughts about pursuing a career or the longevity of the career that you've enjoyed? Back in 1985, when you first started on the metal up your ass demo, was it even a possibility? I, I don't think that any of us thought about doing the first record. Um, it, 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 it's it's a little bit strange to think about. We were so happy getting off the school bus and me, Donald, and Trevor meeting in the garage and just jamming until my mom would open the door and say, Trevor, go home and, and done. And we were we were so really satisfied with just doing that, that when the album kind of came to us, because it, it kind of came to us more than we tried to pursue doing a record. Uh, I think it caught us all a little bit off guard. We never really expected to do it. And we certainly would have no idea what it meant to go on tour and do anything, which is why for Slowly Rot, we really never did anything. Um, uh, but so for it to last this long, it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Don, what are your thoughts? Uh, pretty much the same thing, man. Um, we're, you know, the main thing is, I think, is we're really fortunate that we can do this but uh to have my brother in the band with me is uh is huge and i think that's it makes it much easier than probably a lot of bands uh experience of course it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know business <laughs> business partners <laughs> business partners and brothers and and friends you know it, we're lucky it's a trifecta and we are uh we're fortunate we're fortunate to be able to do it yeah, yeah, you're not wrong about that. And you've already mentioned Trevor. So that's a triumvirate right there. So the musicians have come and gone, but you three have always remained uh, in partnership, in union. Okay, so what do you think the key elements in your relationship are that have contributed to that essential unity to keeping things going for so long? I think John said it, man, is that we're having fun. You know, when you got when you're having fun, it doesn't feel like work. It's not really a job. It's 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 just we're lucky we're fortunate we're super lucky that we could do this um and we're you know we've been doing it for so long i think it's all i know how it's probably one of the only things very few things that i know how to do very well and that's <laughs> you know live on the road uh 
put tours together, put albums together, put songs together and perform live. Um, other than that, I don't know what else I would be doing with myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice. You know, it's been a long time, you know, and I, I think, you know, there's been a couple of times in our career that, uh, you know, like before Back from the Dead uh, was a we took a, you know, five, six years off before Frozen in Time. There was, you know, four or five years off. And we took a couple of those breaks away from things and got away from each other and did some other things. Um but it just always just kind of naturally comes back and and just gets us back into where we really enjoy being. So, um, mm. uh, you know, it's we're not just a band that feels like we have to do an album every year, every other year. Or yeah, we don't feel like we have to go out and just do everything all the time. And I think that's there's a difference um, between wanting to and, and and having to do something. Um, and, and and we just like I said, we've been so fortunate in our career that it seems like the offers that we're getting and the band and the tours that we get to get on nowadays are bigger than what we've ever done before. You know, uh, and, and it's really nice not have to fight the system. It's not have to, to, to fight, you know, to try to get some, you know, to, real hard to do something. Um, mm. and, and it's just it, it makes things a lot easy. And I think it just makes it easy to kind of continue to do what we do. Yeah. Look, another essential. Uh part of the sound at least early on until the mid part of the band's career is alan west now he's a highly talented guitarist we know that and there's a lot of goodwill out there toward him from the fans yet we all know he's facing some very serious personal challenges uh, as he has done for the last decade and beyond can you apart from that though can you delve into some of the core issues that led to some of your the separation and some of the difficulties with alan yeah alan was his own <laughs> Alan was his own speed bump, you know, he was his own enemy. He just made stupid choices and uh and just couldn't keep it together, you know. Uh, it doesn't it's I'm thinking I I'm I'm sure it's been long documented when when with everything that happened with Alan and us and uh and for God's sakes, my brother and myself and Trevor, we tried our best to keep him on track and to sit him down and say dude isn't this important i mean it isn't isn't this why we do why why we do what we do is we're finally making headway here we're we're finally ready to get rolling on the road and become a band and become a powerful thing here and uh he just it just he just steered one direction while we were headed straight forward to trying to stay successful and stay organized and stay professional yeah are you still in touch with him in any way we're not, you know, we've reached out over the years. Like you said, it's been decade. It's been 15 years probably. And over the years, uh, one of us, all of us, we've always, we all tried to reach out to him and, and, uh, and find him. And, uh, and he just, you know, he, he knows where we live for God's sakes. John, John's house has been the studio for going on 25 years. So, um, unfortunately we, we, we're, we're not in touch with big Al anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. Bullichery. Okay, that's your collaboration with DJ's Diablo D and T Skinner. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, to be honest with you, it took me by surprise too, but it works really well. Okay. Uh, the Back from the Dead album, right on the end, the right on the end of the CD it was, I remember. And uh, yeah. of course, it's, uh, you know, it marks a departure from your typical style in some ways, but uh, you still had all the key elements of your sound. It's not like you turned into Limp Biscuit or anything. The, the question yeah. for you and in amongst of that was, is that, was that an experimental, uh, an experimental thing for fun, a one-time endeavor, or did it actually hint at a possible direction of a band you were thinking of taking the obituary at the time? I mean, that just totally came. That was 
just totally by chance. Uh, Frank Watkins knew those guys and they just came down. We were happened to be recording down in Miami at Criteria uh, and they just came by to hang out. We were just hanging out with those two guys and they were super cool. Uh, and we were playing video games and stuff with them and just hanging out. And next thing you know, we're just sitting there recording that part of the song. And those two just huddle up in the corner and they start talking and yakking. And next thing you know, they got pages of lyrics and and they just start going off on top of it. And it, it was not something we planned on doing. Um, but, you know, we kind of just fell in love with those two dudes. They were so they were so real with what they did. They absolutely love it. They were having an absolute blast with it. Uh, and to hear the the lyrics that they came up with on the fly like that, uh, and just next thing you know, the record lights on and they're just laying down tracks and uh, it is a totally just a cool thing to witness, you know. What was fan reaction like though? As you can imagine, that's a mixed bag right there. That's <laughs> totally weird, you know. And I and I totally get it. People that don't like it, I totally get it. I don't have a problem with it. Hey, maybe your life, maybe your wife likes it though. <laughs> <laughs> you probably knew who those DJs. I'd never heard of them. It's, yeah. it's, it's the way we go about things, though. We don't write songs to try to, you know, we don't sit down and say, hey, you know, we need to have a rhythm that sounds like this that people are going to like. It's just not the way we do things. We just sit down and we write what we like. Uh, and whether it's slow, whether it's fast, uh, or whether it takes us in a different direction, uh, I think that's what's beautiful about, about the, the, the music that we play. We, it gives us a lot of leeway and a lot of uh, things to do that and i think that our fans will appreciate us just trying something else whether it's something like world demise that goes in a little bit different direction or, or something but you kind of got to do something to make your you know yourself grow and, and challenge yourself yeah and we put it at the end of the record which we knew it was going to ruffle some fans feathers so we put it at the end of the album so anyone that wanted to cry about it we simply said it's at the end of the album and when the album finishes if you don't like it <laughs> You're free to turn it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yep. Frozen in Time, I feel it's one of your strongest albums. Uh, an excellent comeback album, I've got to say. I know a lot of fans oh. sort of put it down the bottom or what have you, but it was all there. Uh, Alan Soloing was very good on it too. That was another thing. But do, do you, in the benefit of hindsight, it's almost been 20 years, if you can believe it. It's 18 years now. Do you believe that was the right album to release at that uh, at that particular juncture in your career? And what why did you decide to decide to come back? Yeah, that was one of those one of those albums where we we were ready to we were definitely ready to to have new music and we were a band again finally. Um, unfortunately, we we owed Roadrunner Records one extra album, one more album. So that one was one of those ones where we had to give we had to basically give it away. But it didn't stop us from just writing killer songs and, and being excited about writing the best songs we possibly could. And, and that's what we did. And, uh, I, I, I'm glad to hear that you feel that way about frozen in time. Cause I feel that way as well. I think it's one of our best albums. Um, the songwriting, the production, everything about it, it really did stick and, uh, and super proud of that album. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. What do you remember about the, the artwork, the cover art and coming up with that concept? Well, God, you know, yeah, Andreas, Andreas knocked yeah. it out of the park with that one, man. That was that was cool. Yeah, yeah, and it was just simply one of those conversations we had with Andreas Marshall. You know, we just said, you know, it's been six or seven years. Uh, we've been away. Everyone that has heard these new songs after being away for almost seven years, they say you guys haven't changed at all. It's like as if you were frozen in time. And uh, when Andreas knew that that was going to be the name of the album, the he immediately. 
told us, he goes, he said, I got an, I, I got an idea. And once someone like that, you know, a brilliant mind tells you he's got an idea, you just let him roll with it. Me and John were not going to say, well, we need this and we want this. And can you make this color that? That was all him. And we loved yeah. it. You know, it was a different, the colors were totally different than death metal that I knew. It was a totally different look than what bitch, what he's done with obituary albums. And, uh, and what a cool piece of art. If when you start zooming in and looking at it, I mean, what a cool, what a really cool piece of art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was also the album. That's the one we did with Scott, right? Scott Burns came down yeah. to the studio. Yeah, that was at Mark Prater's studio and and Scott came in and helped us produce it. So that was a that was a fun time for sure for us. Yeah, it was cool, you know, because we'd been away for a while and we kind of got back together again. So being able to sit down with Scott Burns and, and Mark Prater in the studio and do that. Um, but one thing's kind of funny, you know, is when we're sitting there and we're, we're recording the songs and we're mixing them and stuff like that. And we told Scott that we're going to start the album off at Redneck Stomp. He's mm -hmm. like, you can't do that. You don't sing on that song. And you guys have been away for five years. You're gonna come out with an album. The first song's not gonna be any singing. And we were just all we were all like, nope, it's gotta be first. There's no other way that song's gonna go. And uh, you know, and of course now, you know, it's kind of our anthem and we we like to pretty much start off all our sets with that song to get things going. Yeah. Uh, but it was just kind of funny. I remember sitting there arguing with Scott and he goes, You can't start the album off with that song. <laughs> yeah, record la record label panicked and said the same thing to us. They were like, You can't do that, man. It's the first song. And we were like, just because you're saying that, it, it, I know it's the right thing to do. You guys don't <laughs> understand the mind of an artist and think about it. I'm like, just I'm like, close your eyes and think about it. People have been waiting seven years for obituary. What do you think of when you think of obituary? You think of John Tardy's vocals. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the album's going to start with this riff. And they're going to be like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> we knew, we knew, we knew we were going to do it. There was no question in our mind. It, it, we would have took it to court. That's how strongly we felt that it was going to be the first song on the album. Okay. Killer. Yeah. Look, not long after that, of course, Alan left, but then Ralph came in and I got to know Ralph a little bit and, you know, he had a great sense of humor and you knew him way better than I ever would, but was he, was he a natural fit for the group or were there some adjustments to make? I was waiting for John to reply. You know, it, it, it was a natural fit simply because Ralph was a friend of ours and that we are a band that does not demand anything and we were not looking specifically for anything. We're comfortable in our skin. Whatever direction we decided to go with whatever soloist we were going to bring in, we would have been happy with. And Ralph was just a fucking brilliant guitar player that blew myself and my brother away every time he would do something in the studio uh with a solo that i loved it i love the two albums he did with us and the tardy brothers album that he helped us with um i think it's i think it's awesome having ralph uh a part of those two albums especially now that ralph's gone he was not just a killer musician he was such a good friend of ours he was such a kind-hearted guy of course everyone that knew ralph he was again his own enemy he had a lot of demons and <laughs> deep inside that sarcastic mind of his but uh but he was just such a good willed guy that dude would do anything for you uh anything in his power anyway he would do anything for his friends uh and he was just a he was just a funny awesome very clever and talented dude that I, i'm part i'm proud he was part of two albums of ours 
Yeah, brilliant albums too. Again, by the way, I got both on vinyl. Um, I enjoy listening to them a little, a lot. Actually, it was one of those partnerships where, when I heard that he had joined the group, especially after the albums he did with Deicide, I was like, I wonder how this is going to sound because you guys <laughs> have a very yeah. different dynamic compared to each other. You know, a lot yeah, of, yeah, but it works beautifully. Yeah, yeah and it does. It- uh, who knows if it was the perfect match? If we would have gotten uh, s- someone else, maybe maybe those albums would have came out different, uh, or maybe they would have been better. Maybe they would have been, would have been worse. But again, we never looked back. We didn't question it. We didn't think twice about it. We didn't worry about it. We just had a blast with Ralph, and it was fun yeah. from the second it started. It was fun with Ralph. Mm. John, go for it. You, I know you were going to say something a moment yeah, ago. Yeah, well, it just, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, you know I, I would like to think that we'd probably have the same band members as from the first day we started jamming if certain things in life didn't come around, you know. Um, you know, people die, people fly, you know, people go off their own way and and things change. People change and and you got to grow, um, you know, and, and, and we're just we're fortunate that in, in the pathway of our career here that we got to, to do those albums with Ralph and got to see him. Um, it, it was it was pretty amazing sitting behind the Pro Tools rig with the record button in your hand and hearing him play a solo. And in Pro Tools, you got playlists, you know, so you can just go, OK, new playlist. He'll play the solo again. New playlist. He plays the solo again. And every time it was like, dude, that one was better than the last one. That one was better than the last. And then by the time he's done, you got six or seven playlists. You're like any one of these would work on this album, you know? And sometimes we even would chop it about halfway through and switch it, but it, it was pretty fascinating to watch him. He was he was truly way smarter musically than what we are. Um, you know, we are truly cavemen when it comes down to what we do. And and he uh he had he was he was a pretty darn talented guitar player for sure. Yeah. Guys, I'll just do a time check. Dicey's given me 20 minutes. Have we got time for a couple more questions or have you got to scoot to the next one? I'm I totally got another cool one, but we got, we, got, we got a couple more. You, we can do a couple more questions. Okay, sweet. Yeah, go for it, man. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Look, uh, after Frank uh, left us, God rest his soul, uh, was Terry Butler the immediate choice for the band or, say, did Steve, the great Steve DiGiorgio, was he ever – I know he does a lot of different things, but was Steve <laughs> – talk to him about maybe becoming a full-time member as well? Yeah, no, Terry, was, Terry was the dude. We knew it, you know. <laughs> we've known yeah we've known terry since before we were a band um you know we knew his sister and him before either any of us were in bands together you know and then no sooner were we starting the executioner thing he was doing the massacre thing back there and and we've just known him ever since so i, I swear it feels like terry has been in the band forever um just because we've known him forever uh and and you know we were lucky enough to do some song you know to, to do some tours with Giorgio. um so you know what the coolest guy on the planet right there, you know, uh, but he's also a California person. Wasn't going to work out very easy. Um, <laughs> I don't really like the whole long distance thing. It's kind of tough as easy as it is to do that with people. It's, yeah. it's not fun when you can't drive over and jam anytime you want kind of thing. Um, so, you know, Terry's right down the road. He's, he's just as sarcastic as, as we are. Uh, and, and it was an easy, easy fit for us. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Look, if they were, if there was any aspect of your career as extraordinary as it's been at times and as much as you've achieved, is there any aspect that you'd change or revise? 
the performance fee would be a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? It, It might sound cliche, but I wouldn't change anything, man. We've had a blast. It's so, it's so much fun knowing we can do what we want to do. And that like John touched on it earlier that we pretty much can, we're getting offers and bigger tours each time that we um, put the, uh, the light on that we're accepting tours. And, and uh, what a great feeling to know that we are more powerful than we've ever been. We're having more fun than we've ever had. And, uh, and these songs are coming out of us and they're pretty cool. They're pretty killer songs that we've been creating. And um, we're just lucky right now. I, I wouldn't have changed one thing. Yeah, I tell you, for, for at this point in our career, for a death metal album to hit number two on the Billboard charts, uh, beaten out by Taylor Swift, I'd like to freak him rough. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to hear. I mean, granted, you know, people don't sell records like they used to, um, but it's still a cool thing that you can say. You know, at this point in our career, a death metal album went to number two on the Billboard charts. Hmm. It doesn't happen. That's just crazy. So. Is that- uh, it's that cool. must be the highest charting death metal album ever. I can't imagine I, the number one. I couldn't yeah, imagine I it being number one either, but I, hey, who knows? But yeah. Yeah. Um, timing is everything, man. We got lucky. No one else apparently put an album out that week. <laughs> 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 and then, yeah, then goddamn Taylor Swift. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> she beat Michael Jackson at this bloody point with how much she sells. So. Yeah, she's beating everybody. <laughs> yeah, she's beating yeah. everybody. I'll make this my final question for you guys. Thanks very much for your time. But uh, when's the books coming out, guys? Both of you have uh, you deserve to have an autobiography out there. Oh God, no time soon. Yeah, we did the turned inside out, you know, and that kind of really did cover a lot. We spent a lot of time with David, each one of us individually going through a lot. And I thought David did a pretty good job putting that book together, um, and it gets you a pretty good insight. Um, but, uh, you know, with a career this long, you could probably go back and start over again and come up with a whole nother book of stuff that didn't get put in there. Mm. Yeah. And if we if um, we were both going to have an autobiography, mine would be Donald's uh, keys of how to scooping, how to scoop a proper litter box. And John's would John's would probably be uh, the proper way to scream at your TV while watching the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate on both accounts, especially with the, the football team. They're my team, the Tigers, rugby league side, by the way. Bloody yeah. useless. Don't worry. It's yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. on. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chance. It's, uh, it's been an honor to talk to you. I really appreciate it. As I said, I've said up top, I've been such a, a huge fan of the group for such a long time. It's a soundtrack to my life. I'm sure you hear this often enough, but to be able to share that with you is quite meaningful. So thank you. No, dude, that's right awesome. And we thank you for taking your time. Uh, if you come out to any of your shows, hit us up, man. Love to just meet up with you and have a cool one after the show or beforehand or something like that. Uh, great to do that. By all means, just just reach out to us. Yeah, yeah, right on, Andrew. Good talking to you, dude. Thanks very much, guys. All right, safe travel. See you down here. Yep. Thank Cheers. You. Catch yep. you guys. Later. Bye. You don't have chats like that every day, I can assure you. Donald and John Tardy, ladies and gents, the legends that have been keeping the obituary flame alive alongside their compadre, Trevor Perez, for many, many years, decades at this point, and what a pleasure to talk to. Wow, this is why I love this podcast so much. The opportunity to talk to people like John and Donald. Magnificent. All right, 
There are plenty more conversations over at scarsandguitars.com if you like Cradle of Filth or if you're just intrigued even slightly. I've had conversations with many of the group's ex-members and they've certainly spilt the beans, so to speak. So dive into that there. There's a little tab there titled Cradle of Filth Conversations, but otherwise chats with many of the many of the musicians that have been luminary part of the extreme metal scene for a very long time now they're luminaries i'm talking about ralph santola who we spoke about in that chat there as well as trevor perez i've even spoken to trey from morbid angels mother because of course a conversation with trey it's not just rare it's virtually impossible these days i've even written about it that chat with Trey's mum in my book, Scars and Guitars, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond, Volume 1. Click the link in the banner on my website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you know what to do from there. There's some more information to share with you about the book in the moment, but before we get to that, I'll bid you a farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of this show, Scars and Guitars. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words, uh, sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction. George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was... He was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes 
to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.